everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Lost Broadcasts, a podcast about shows that tried and failed to be the next Lost. Um, I am your host, Hannah. I'm Esther. And there's no gimmicks on the opening this time. We're not going to make you suffer through two minutes of that. <laughs> That's just something we do when it's fun, not an always thing. When it's fun for us, yeah. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Um, as a punishment to, to balance that out, we will be doing a 45-minute smash Rick double this episode <laughs> where we just go over every single rule of the in-season tournament. Yeah. And by the end of it, maybe we'll understand yeah. what those rules are. We're going to find out together. Yeah, nobody knows those. Um, so we mentioned at the end of last episode that we uh, had noted while watching Daybreak that like, oh shit, this makes really good use of locations. Um, you know, the the quarry, a lot of great chiaroscuro stuff, a lot of great shots of LA at nighttime. Um, and we were sort of realizing that like, oh, why do so few of these shows care about location as like a concept? Um, Lost obviously was like, we're going to center this mystery at like this, you know, terrifying, unknowable, you know, uncharted mm-hmm. island. Um, and then everyone else is just like, okay, the mystery is set in Gainesville, Florida. The mystery is set in Akron, Ohio. <laughs> uh, the the intended scope of the Lost Isle mystery is how is it that Steph Curry and LeBron James were born in the same city? <laughs> <laughs> it is funny, like you know, from a producer's perspective, you got to think that they were like, well, we can make our own Lost, but we don't have to shoot on lo- in an exotic location, yeah. right? You know, what people like about Lost isn't necessarily just the island, which is true. And mm-hmm. we've seen some examples of successes with that. Um, but it is funny that, like, it really seemed like no one was interested in copying that aspect of it and being like, all right, this show takes place in a unique setting. Yeah. Um, today, all that changes. <laughs> yes. Um... This is uh, the site-specific Lost broadcasts Recording on location in Oahu. Yeah, that's um. right. Um, <laughs> I was just edit in some, like, you know, beach sounds and, like, mm-hmm. rigorously edit out all of the, like, uh, police sirens in the background. <laughs> we cannot afford the audience uh, figuring out that this is actually still yeah. just in New York. No, yeah. we're gonna. I mean, I already edit out all the people who yell outside our building, Hey, we're in New York! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Every day. Um yeah, Jesus and Vero fight each other with swords outside <laughs> our window every morning. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Met do live downstairs yeah. from us. Um, it's actually been Esther under the Mrs. Met costume the whole time. That it's is like, me. That's why zooming I... on the ass. <laughs> That's why she's so caked up. Who else could it have been? All right. So this is a lot of setup, basically. We're talking about Flight 29 Down. That's right. Um, where my millennials at? Uh, you probably remember this one. No. Um, what? I'm a millennial. No. Well, but you know what I mean. What do I mean? What do you mean? People like me. <laughs> what? What's a person like you that Someone doesn't who's include me? my age. Okay. How about we say that it's younger, <laughs> younger millennials and like uh-huh. older Gen Z, I think makes sense. If that's what you believe. That is what I, that's my stand. Okay. Um, that's what I'm taking a stand for. Anyway, Flight 29. I was 30 when this aired, I want to be clear. <laughs> and I was seven. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this aired on Discovery Kids cable network, uh, Flight 29 Down did, from 2005 to 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, Technically, it also aired on NBC um, because they had, like, in 2005, 2006, a 
programming block that was like Discovery Kids on NBC Saturday mornings. But it's like, um, I don't think a lot of kids were watching Saturday morning shows on NBC uh, in 2005. No, not so much. That wasn't um, part of your experience? No, I don't I don't think I watched this on NBC. Although to be honest, I don't remember. Maybe I did. Maybe you did. I just remember it being on sometimes. Yeah. Um, so obviously there's a couple things we should foreground here. Like this is the first children's show we're talking about. Yeah. Um, it's aimed at obviously a much different audience than Lost was or the typical Lost-like was. Yeah. And so that means that a lot of stuff that we sort of like come to assume as being bedrock of a show trying to cash in on Lost just isn't here because like the the audience assumptions of like adults who had seen Lost and were like ooh this is what I like about it it's the mystery stuff you know it's all the like ensemble character stuff it's the the really serialized nature of it that's not necessarily what like a kid takes away if they're like watching Lost with their family the kid would probably take away more like cool island yeah exactly um you know this this does this qualifies because it's obviously it was greenlit because of Lost success Clearly, like, there's no question about it. Um, it does feature, you know, it an ensemble so cast. Like, the showrunners are just like, oh, I've been trying for 20 years to get this kid's island show made. <laughs> it's like, here's our chance. Go, go, go. Um, yeah. Nobody's going to give us money for this the moment it hits 2006. We need this on the air now. <laughs> it's also our first half hour show. Yeah. Um, which leads into the next point, which is that it's the first multiple season show. Now, mm-hmm. normally, something we talked about as we started this is that if we ever have a show that did run for two seasons, which is our limit, yeah. um, we would probably do that over multiple episodes. That's not something we've run into yet, so you know, who knows if that's what we're even going to end up doing. But, yeah, we lie all the time. Yeah, it would probably be something we'd have to if it's a two-season two show that, you know, back in the day would probably get 18 to 22 episodes a season. We just can't do that in a month. Yeah. Um, We're very tired. We have... We want to watch other things sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, I have, like, a list of, like, 30 movies that I want to maybe think about watching before the end of the year, and it's, like, there's Hojo Sen on there, there's Kelly Reichardt, there's so many, like, amazing filmmakers that it's, like, ooh, but I could be watching V. I could be watching 50 <laughs> episodes of V every day. Yeah. Uh, the, we decided to do Flight 29 Down all in one because it's half hours and because the yeah. seasons were only 13 episodes, so it was really yeah. easy to watch. So it still of. totals out to being like less total airtime than something like uh, Flash Forward or Invasion, which got the 22 um, 40-minute episodes. Yeah. Whereas this is like a total of 30 episodes, half that length. Yeah. This is also, uh, maybe most notably of all, this is the first show we're covering that told a complete story on the air. Yeah. Um, possibly. Um, we, and, this is something we're going to talk about later, but yeah. it's a little ambiguous whether the show aired sort of as the story was intended to be told, but it does tell a complete like beginning to end story without any real compromises in terms of the basic narrative yeah and like you might sort of be thinking back to our last episode where we talked about like daybreak managing to come to a really satisfying conclusion be like hold on are they lying to me again no i'll tell you when i lie to you um (laughs) daybreak was a different situation because it wrapped up a complete arc for the first season but it's very clear that they wanted to do more with Flight 29 down, it's like, well, what would they have necessarily done if they had gotten more? Um, they get to the end of the story, spoilers, they get off the island, you know? like, And it's not a lost type situation where it's like, well, once they got off the island, they have to get back and there's still more mysteries at play. No, these are just kids who want to go home. So it, it reaches the end in that very literal sense of like, 
you identify the story as having a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it got there. So the premise of Flight 29 Down. Uh, we have a small private flight, not a big major airliner like Lost was. Yeah, because it's a kid's show, so it's smaller planes, Everything is smaller. smaller humans. <laughs> <laughs> smaller animals. It's like a, a very small bear. So this plane is carrying uh, nine high school students and one 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going on like a class trip to Palau. Um, and unfortunately, they run into a storm and they have to make a an emergency landing, a crash landing on a deserted island. Um, and these kids, they got to figure out how to survive. Yep. They also have to try to figure out how to like make a makeshift society and then potentially possibly get off the island um, because it's... Early on, they're very much thinking like, well, we're going to get rescued. But then it's like, oh, we were off course. Is nobody going to come find us? Do we have to make our own rescue, etc. So just kind of like the very basic, um, you know, wilderness survival things going on in the show. There is not really a lost style slow burn mystery to this one. Nope, (laughs) not at all. And it's funny because it teases as though there's going to be. And yeah, is, and it, it's. It, I think maybe this is why in my head I remembered there being stuff like this because there will be moments throughout the show that are like you know at one point they find a bunch of markers on trees and they're like oh is someone else inhabiting the island but that just turns out to be something one of the kids was doing yeah um, <laughs> they learn that by the end of the episode at one point they find like a mysterious box and they can't get it open and it's like what's in the box is this like the hatch is there going to be a mystery set and it's just no there's just some like crap from a World War II soldier yeah um, um the same thing where it's like much later in the show they find like chickens there and they're like wait oh my goodness there's there's no native chickens in this part of the world like somebody had to have settled here beforehand and it's just the same world war ii thing they already discovered is like the reason that they're there yeah um which of course led us to like speculate that like oh did they just fly to poland accidentally is that where they're at <laughs> Um, um, and it did lead us to, to getting very distracted and just uh, imbibing insane quantities of Polish jokes from a, a website from 1995. Yeah, they had so many already at that time in history, yeah. it turns out. Um, <laughs> do, you, do, you want, do you want to hit Two us with one? Two Polish hunters were driving through the country <laughs> to go bear hunting. They come upon a fork in the road where a sign read, Bear Left. So they went home. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's just so cool. Like if if they had gotten a full season three, as we speculate that they might have wanted, then it's like they find a submarine, and it's like, how did this thing run aground? It's like, oh, screen doors. <laughs> I see. It's like they find plans for like a, a rocket ship, and it's it, where is it going? It was. It turns out it was going to the sun. Okay, so an unmanned craft. <laughs> no, there was. It was a bad. It was a bad mission. That's the crazy part. Pollocks are so. So stupid. <laughs> and um, if anybody complains about this, I am Polish. Okay, yeah, I'm so, sitting like, across from my Polish wife right now. Yeah, so like, if you are going to get offended on my behalf, just like remember that I'm not doing very well as a Polish person. <laughs> I need all the help I can get. <laughs> so yeah, there's there's no mystery here. No, I mean, if you want to fudge it, you could say that like the mystery is like, how will they get off the island? No, that's not it. But that's not even like the show doesn't even focus on that moment to moment. The moment to moment of the show episode to episode is just about how will they survive and like how will they 
deal with each other interpersonally. There's no like, there are moments where it's like, maybe we'll try this to get off the island. And it becomes a source of tension later on of sort of like, why are we not doing everything we can to escape? Mm-hmm. You know, we're putting all this effort into survival and we could have put putting effort into trying to find a way out of here. But yeah, that just means that most of the show is about like wilderness survival rather than like trying to get away or any sort of like lore or even like plot in a meaningful sense. It's a very yeah. plotless show. No, it's it's very much the case that like if you were describing like the get off the island stuff as like a long term mystery or even as a plot, then you would imagine that like things would progress towards that at least semi linearly. And like maybe they have setbacks, maybe they don't just like progress there and literally like, all right, every episode gets us five percent closer, but it's like what we do in this little arc like gets us more information about where we are. And what we do in this arc gets us information about, like, where the currents will lead if we, like, make a raft. And then we start making the raft and all that. No, that does not happen. (laughs) 90% of the shit that they try to get off the island just, like, eats shit. Yeah, completely failed. We're gonna get get into this after we do the characters. (laughs) But this is a show about uh, failure in a lot of ways. Yeah, Um, absolutely. But let's talk about the characters, because this show, you know, obviously we're going into this it's a kid's show. Mm-hmm. I think we knew on some level that it was going to be like less enjoyable or interesting for us. As, oh, you never as consume kids grown, media? Full grown you never consume kids media, but, Esther? Oh, uh, what? D- do you not like do consume not? an incredible <laughs> amount of kids media constantly? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm looking over at your screen <laughs> literally right now. You are watching FNAF lore videos. No, no, we shouldn't. We shouldn't get into that yet. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway, no, but I think like what kept us enjoying the show, even as we were constantly reminded. So we watched this on Peacock, right? Yeah. And a funny thing about it is that because it's classified as a Peacock kids show, all the ads and like the ad interstitials are mm-hmm. aimed at children who are going to be watching. So there would be, there will be scenes of like these kids, like, you know, accidentally shooting a flare gun at each other. And, like, they just go down and crumple to the ground. And then the ad break will go, and it'll be like, we'll be right back with more awesome adventures on Peacock Kids. And then we have That's to watch- exactly what the announcer sounds like. <laughs> and then we have to watch the ad for Ruby Gilman Teenage Kraken again. Yeah, because, um, like, she has a secret, which is yeah. that she and her whole family, her whole family turned actually, They turned into Krakens. And what do they fight? Well, they have to protect the world from evil mermaids. Knock, knock. <laughs> that is something that we have seen 30 times at this point. We did PG. Yeah, what's great about that one is that um, the audio mixing on that is way lower than the rated PG. That happens right at the end. <laughs> PG, for some reason, is really loud and really bassy. Yeah, we got we got jump scared by that every single we, every, time. Every time. It was so funny. Um, anyway, yeah. So let's <laughs> stop talking about Ruby Gilman Teenage Kraken. So we have a bunch of amazing children's characters. Yeah. So let's start with, um, with Nathan McHugh, who starts off as like, you know... Who's he played by? He's played by Corbin Corbin Blue. See, you would know about him because yeah. you watch all sorts of Disney Channel. Of course. Well, if you if you remember, if you're my age, um, which is uh, 14 years old, <laughs> you might remember uh, Corbin Blue from uh, films such as High School Musical. Yeah. Or I think he had his own about like um, j- jump rope, like competitive jump rope. 
No, he didn't. What was that called? No, he did. No, you're making up with Disney Channel shows. No, it was real. It was See, called Jump. It was called Jump In. I didn't have cable when I was little because my yeah, family that... was working class, blue collar, salt of the earth. And it's the first time I've ever brought that up. Uh, Jump In does co-star uh, Kiki Palmer. Fun fact. Good there for you her. Go. Um, it was about a young boxer who trains to follow in his father's footsteps by winning the Golden Glove. But when his friend Mary asks him to substitute for a team member in a double Dutch tournament. Izzy discovers his new love for the sport. So you don't remember, you don't realize this at the time. You ever go back and look at the Disney Channel original movie synopsis and literally everyone is like, what if a boy did boy stuff? But then he got interested in more of like a girl thing. <laughs> and would that be okay? <laughs> <laughs> They're always asking whether it'd be okay. <laughs> anyway, that's- In what... between thinking about 9-11, they were always asking, is that okay? <laughs> Uh, that's probably what you know Corbin Blue from. If Unless yeah. you have seen the film Nurse 3D, which is the horror film that was based on the uh, blood drive marketing campaign for the Saw films, <laughs> which is just a fun little movie trivia that I really enjoy. I'm not going to check any of this on Wikipedia. I think that, like, at least this is a two truths and a lie situation, right? Where, like, <laughs> two of the things that you've just mentioned to me are real, but one of them isn't. Mm-hmm. Okay, High School Musical. That's the one that's fake. No, that that is the one. That is the Damn one that's it. real. That is okay. the one that's real. So uh, that's 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 good. Let's talk about Nathan. Let's talk about Nathan. He starts off. You think he's going to be like the Jack Shepard of the show. He yeah. kind of is positioned as like you but know. But he shoots way fewer hostages than Jack Shepard, which is a good thing. Yeah, he screams at people less. Yeah, he cries less. Um, so that's you know it's one of the things that's different about, yeah. about Flight Twenty Nine Down. Um, but no, Nathan, you, he's positioned as like the sort of the main character of the ensemble initially, just mm-hmm. in terms of the way that the sort of stories are written initially, because he's like he's a Boy Scout. He's coming in like I know about survival. I know about you know I have all this experience, so I'm going to be well positioned to like he's help people the survive. He's most leader coded of the boys initially. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he turns out to suck shit at everything. Uh, all his plans fail. Everything he does is pointless. Yeah, he really likes trying to do heroic things that turn out to be completely useless and uh, just like outstripped by like other people not even excelling, but just like performing basic competence. There's a great episode where he is like trying to climb a tree to get coconuts. Yeah. Um, and he's like, we need these coconuts and I'm going to be the one who can get them. And he like falls and almost kills himself initially. But he, and he finally does it. And then he gets to the bottom and like, Nathan, you'll never believe it. We found all of this fresh fruit just lying on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> it's like 50 times that he gathered. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's Nathan. He sort of recedes into the ensemble after a while, which is, I think, good. Like, I think it is, the show does a good job of making it a true ensemble. And there's no one character that feels like, you know, oh, that's the main one. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that's... You're, you're definitely proud to think also he's going to be a main one because he's Corbin Blue, right? Yeah. That's... I don't... Although the show the show did start before, before High School Musical. Okay, um, wow. I think anyway. I'm pretty yeah. sure he had not broken out and High School Musical actually, I think, came out in the midst of the show airing, as far as I can remember. So he was double dipping. He was... <laughs> he was paid the Flight 29 dollar and the High School Musical dollar. Yeah, which that's right. That probably made him the richest child in America. <laughs> Um, do you want to tell us about Daily Marin? Yeah, Daily Marin is uh, bossy. Uh, her main deal is that she is like the class president. She is extremely like uh, kind of full of herself and uh, very like type A, very organized, very like trying to regiment out people's lives on the island very like strictly. Um, 
And in fact, like one of the early plot lines is that there is like a uh, election of who's going to be the leader between Nathan and Daly because they're both the ones that are really pushing for it. Uh, spoiler, it turns out to be neither. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so she's like, I would say she's uncontroversially more competent than Nathan. Yeah. Uh, but she definitely alienates people a lot by being, you know, bossy in that type of way and like having a very set in her ways idea of like how things ought to go on the island. Yeah. Um, then she also has a little stepbrother by the name of Lex. Lex is um, precocious. He's a child He's like genius. 10. He's 10 years old. Yeah. Um, it's never made clear why he gets to come on the trip with the high schoolers. <laughs> um, that literally didn't occur to me until we sat down to record this episode just now. Why was he there? We don't know. Sometimes you're just allowed to like bring a child to places. It, yeah, I guess it's fine. But it becomes a plot point later in, later in the run. There's a flashback episode that shows like how they decided to go on the trip and who they decided to invite. And it becomes a matter of like contention, like, you know, who are we going to get, who do, who are we going to invite and who, how are we going to afford for everyone to come in the high school, you know, class. Yeah. So why is the 10 year old stepbrother there? We just don't know. Well, the 10 year olds are smaller. They don't count for us. So it's like, <laughs> we're, we're getting like a uh, 9.4 people on the, that's trip true. By their calculations. Yeah. Um, yeah, Lex's whole deal is that he is, um, a child genius. He's sort of like, um, uh, sort of like maybe named after Lex Luthor, um, with how smart he is. Shut Um, up. Shut up. Yeah, he's balding. And Uh he's bald is the root thing. And he hates... He he wears, like, a a cap at all times, but, like, the few moments where he lifts it up, you can see that he's balding. And it does have a little tattoo on his forehead saying, I hate Superman. Yeah, and he hates... He's always talking about how much he hates Superman. And he wants to get him. And that's the main reason he wants to get off the island. And that's why his favorite TV show he mentions this constantly is Scrubs, because the theme song famously says, I know Superman. (laughs) So it's reassuring to him. Yeah. Because every every time he watches a TV show, he thinks... (laughs) Superman could show up. But when he watches Scrubs, first thing you hear every episode is, I'm no Superman. Thank God. You could rest (laughs) Why are we getting so punchy with the character intros? (laughs) Won't show up. I don't know. Okay. um, Let's try to power through this. Melissa Wu. Let's talk about Melissa. She's a sweetheart. She is uh, the heart of the group. Yeah. Um, She is very much like sweet... Yeah, I think Esther just said like 90% of what there is to her, but she's like, she's definitely very anxious um, about certain things. She like, you know, harbors a secret crush on like the character that we're going to mention next. Um, And she tends to be kind of like easily kind of dragooned into doing things for other people because she wants to help and she's like, you know, easy to get along with and whatnot. Um, And part of the, her arc on the show, I guess, is like learning to stand up for each other, although... We'll get later to this show's idea of what character arcs are, so <laughs> stay tuned. Uh, but who's the character she has a crush on? It'll be Cody Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. His name is Jackson. Um, we don't learn whether that's his first name or his last name until one of the last scenes of the show. Yeah, where like, Melissa asks him, like, by the way, is Jackson your first name or last name? And he just says, right. it's Cody. And I was just watching it be like, that doesn't fucking help. No, so is that, are you, you Jackson Cody? You could be Jackson Cody. Cody. <laughs> But his name is Cody Jackson, but he's Jackson. Yeah, uh, Jackson Cody is like the most uh, like white college football player name I've ever heard. Jackson is a great character because you he is sort of the first time on the show that there is any suggestion of like what these characters' relationship to each other was before the plane crash. We get a little bit of it. There's some animosity between like 
Nathan and Daly, obviously, that we hear about because they had both run for class president. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jackson is like very mysterious and they sort of talk about him in these ways that's like nobody really trusts him. He seems very quiet and like distant. Yeah, he just transferred to the school from like a, a seedier part of town. Yeah, that's that we later learn that he is like, yeah, this is sort of his last stop. Basically, he keeps getting kicked out of schools for getting in trouble. Yeah. Um, we later learn the most amazing character detail of all time. Uh, oh, so so to set this up, we should say one of the most interesting things about Flight Twenty Nine Town is that it's not just a lost, it's not just a lost alike; it's a survivor alike. <laughs> um, because all yeah. of the, you know, on a show like Survivor, you'll have these interstitials with characters, contestants, you know, talking to camera and explaining what they're thinking at any given moment, so they can cut that in, and it seems like. We're getting their thoughts, you know, about yeah. the thing that, you know, was being filmed earlier, basically. And they refer to those as confessionals. Confessionals, yeah. Um, those are on Flight 29 Down, like, diegetically. There's a, they find early on uh, just a camera, and they all decide they're going to record, like, video diaries um, over the course of their, you know, misadventure. And this functions just exactly like a survivor confessional does, where they'll there will be a scene, and then it will cut to you know Melissa talking to camera, like I can't believe she said that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's a weird choice, but it's an interesting choice. Like it is. They know that if it was like the two thousands, and it's like, well, we're on an island, we're obviously doing Lost, but like, what else takes place on an island? <laughs> it's Survivor. It is Survivor. Yeah. Um, just a just a fascinatingly strange choice because obviously you can't do kids Survivor. Um, we tried that. It was called Kid Nation. There were some problems on set. Yeah. <laughs> that might be a fun bonus episode if we watch Kid Nation someday. I think I would like that. It's always a possibility. It's always a possibility. Um, but no, so basically they find, in the first season finale, they find Jackson's tapes that reveal his secret, which turns out to be that um, right before he left for the island, he got in a fight and another kid was sent to the hospital. And as soon as he touches like American soil again, after they're rescued, he will be arrested. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They have snipers trained on the runway. (laughs) They're going to bring him in uh, with like the Hannibal Lecter muscle. (laughs) He is the most dangerous child of all time. But Jackson is an, is interesting as well because he's an antihero. He is an antihero. When they first sort of do an election to decide who the leader will be and ja- and Nathan and Daly are the ones who run. Mm-hmm. Um, they each vote for themselves and everyone else votes for Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> who was not, did not announce himself as even wanting the position, but just everyone sort of trusts him to like... He, he had proved himself to be like more emotionally mature. He had like stuck up for Lex. He had like mediated in fights yeah. and just kind of shown that he was like a little more above, you know, petty things than like uh, Nathan or Daly were. Yeah. Um, so Jackson is, I think, like, the closest the show gets to, like, a character who feels well-rounded enough, well-rounded enough to be on a real TV show. Yeah. (laughs) I guess that's how I would put it. Um, And then next we have the best character on the show, of course. The the least, like, a real TV character. (laughs) But still the best. Yeah. Uh, That would be Taylor Hagen. Um, so Taylor (laughs) is the blonde girl, and that tells you a lot about where they're going with her as a character. She is ditzy. She is spoiled. She is rude. Um, she's very stupid in a lot of ways. That's right. Um, they, they do sort of like occasionally trot out some like hidden 
sides to her, but like she kind of just stays stupid throughout. That's the thing. So on the Wikipedia page um, for this show, when we first started it, it has little descriptions of every character. And at the time, yeah. what hers said was that she is a hard worker and more aware of the other's feelings. Um, and as we were watching the show, we were just like, is she going to like eventually develop into that? Like mm-hmm. she will become a hard worker and become aware of the other's feelings, but that never happens. And she's just the opposite the whole time. She is oblivious. She is lazy. She is spoiled. So you mentioned uh, that that was what it said when we started okay. watching well, the show. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. Esther, what's up? <laughs> Use your words. <laughs> so it used to say that. Yeah. It used to say that. Okay. Um, but it bothered me so much. That when we finished watching the show, I did go and edit Wikipedia to make it more accurate. So that now if you go to Wikipedia, it does describe her as spoiled, self-centered, and initially oblivious to the danger the group is in. Which I just think is more accurate. And it gives more information that is true. Yeah. yeah. So I'm um, I'm doing this podcast with a Wikipedia power user. <laughs> I'm not a power user. <laughs> <laughs> a Wikipedia power user who lies to preserve herself. No, okay. no, no. Well, yeah. I, no. Mm, okay. So Taylor's incredibly funny, right? Taylor is so fun. I'm building you up. Thank you. No, Taylor, like her deal initially when they crash is like, the other characters are like we gotta set up camp like and she's like what do you mean we're obviously gonna be rescued in like an hour <laughs> like she says that about like a dozen times in the first two episodes uh just like every time somebody mentions doing basic wilderness stuff she's just like uh we're not gonna be here when it's dark are we <laughs> <laughs> we're not gonna be here when the tide comes in are we <laughs> Uh, yeah, she, every combination of that she like steals their only drinking water so that she could wash her hair yeah <laughs> she like uh, she constantly ruins things she breaks things she can't do anything right she won't do anything unless pushed and when the slightest um kind of like offense is made against her even accidentally uh she will demand justice <laughs> she there's will. a great scene where like i think it's um i think it's melissa yeah melissa like accidentally wears one of her shirts or something yeah and taylor finds out and she just goes up to jackson who like mentions the leader and just like says punish her I've done it and i knew taylor would freak so i washed it and tried to dry it over the fire so what do you want me to do punish her what she should take over all of my chores from now on and give me the choice of any three of her tops. Three? I've only got four! This is about value, not quantity. And most of the rest of that episode is about um, Melissa sort of like dealing with like, you know, the shame or the, the guilt or also like the frustration of that, you know? Uh, so they just replay the audio of her saying, punish her. Like, f- at least a dozen times throughout the rest of the episode. Yeah, the show has a weird stylistic thing where, like, after every kind of act break, it will play just, like, five seconds of clips of dialogue from the previous scenes. Yeah. Um, one of the most condescending things I've ever seen in a television show. But it does just mean that in that episode, every yeah, five minutes... None of the other 50 children's shows you watch do that. Okay. I'm gonna leave in some silence. <laughs> so I can cut that out. <laughs> I love you, Esther. I love you too. It it does just mean that every five minutes in that episode, they once again play the clip of her going punish her. <laughs> yes. So don't be surprised if we just uh, kind of 
sprinkle that in every little segment break in this episode. <laughs> um, and then finally, uh, among the main cast, we have a gentleman by the name of Eric McGorrell, um, who I seem to have listed as being the vanilla gorilla. Yeah, why did you say that? I just saw his last name is Gorilla without the A, and I was just like, wouldn't that be funny? Wouldn't it be funny if they called him the vanilla gorilla? Yeah. They don't, though, and we didn't until this moment. Um, (laughs) Well, I was doing it under my breath the whole time. Okay, I couldn't hear you. I wasn't listening. Um, No, Eric's deal is that he is the class clown. Um, He is the most annoyed character on the show. He is the least likable. He is constantly trying to get out of responsibilities. He's a slacker and a trickster and a libertarian. He is constantly (laughs) talking about how, like... It should be survival of the fittest, every man for himself. He doesn't want to participate in society. Mm-hmm. He wants to just like build his own shelter and he's really bad at it. Yeah. And he hates chores. Um, but, you know, he also wants to get the benefit for all the chores. And I wanted him dead so bad. Yeah. <laughs> he's just, just absolutely sucks the life out of every single scene he's in. He's a bad character. He's not fun to watch. Taylor is so much fun to watch. Eric's not. <laughs> Taylor eventually becomes a little like has dimensions to her and changes and you know contributes to the group a little more eric literally never changes at all and i can't i know i'm fucking arguing it's like arguing that like fucking bluey doesn't have character (laughs) but i'm sorry like this is the episode where esther says that paw patrol is kind of (laughs) but like i'm sorry like i I watched 26 episodes of this plus a feature film um i couldn't stand him it's like halfway through the feature film where like melissa like saves him from drowning and is like i'm tired of like bailing you out and then he finally has like a bit of like character development it's like wow i shouldn't be so selfish and it's like motherfucker that's like effectively 29 episodes into the 30 episode series that like anything seems to remotely stick with him yeah punisher um so those are the the kind of like seven main characters that are just hanging out on the beach. But there is a conceit where like we mentioned there's a couple other kids. Yeah, um, they have their own tailies. Yeah, um, basically. Yeah, they they have their own tailies, which is an insane thing to do when it's like you know these are characters that we all already kind of like at least met once during the pilot. Um, so when they come back, um, it's not like ooh we get new characters. It's just like. Oh yeah, you hired that like teen actor uh, to to be here the whole time, but now we're only seeing him. So the conceit basically is that in the first episode, I think literally the first episode, yeah, um, the captain, Captain Bob Russell, captain mm-hmm. of the plane, takes three of the kids like off to explore the island and see if they can find signs of civilization or something that will help them get home, um, and they don't show up again um except for one who we'll talk about but uh captain bob and jory and ian they just go into the woods in episode one and we don't see them again until the movie at the end of the series and the funniest part is that nobody ever talks about them yeah even though their actors are named canon and blade so it's like they they could have brought a lot more firepower to the in fact the beach what's team. interesting is that they're named BK Cannon and Blade Rogers and there's no way of knowing whether the B in BK also stands for Blade. <laughs> it stands for Blade Cannon Cannon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you got me snorting. 
All right, we are joined by a wild oi. pig. Oi. Oi, oi, oi. Um, wild pig, what did you think of Flight 29 down? <laughs> um, but there's one more character among those, uh, the lost they're called on the Wikipedia page, the Tailies, effectively, right? Yeah, there is Abby Darkstar Fujimoto. Yes. Um, she comes back at like the end of season one. Um, having, like, broken off from the, the rest of the group and um, I think, like, being uh, kind of sick and injured and, like, near death and needing to be, like, rescued and nurtured back to health by the the kids in the camp on the beach. Um, and she kind of, like, she's very, like, sweet. She's very, like, she's supposed to be the pretty one, right? She yeah. is very, like, you know, gentle and angelic, but also feels like oh, I don't necessarily know if I fit in this group anymore. I, I feel like sort of out of place, like me coming back has, you know, uh, upended things. So she like hosts a very nice little like party for the group um, in an evening, like a dance basically. And then just sort of like goes off again and is like, leaves she, a note being like, I got to find the others. Yeah, she says, I don't really fit in with you anymore. I need to go off on my own. It's written and framed like she's killing herself <laughs> <laughs> initially we were like did she go did she walk into the ocean yeah it is absolutely framed like she's left a suicide note she doesn't though she just walks into back into the woods to go out on her own we yeah. don't hear from her again for about 10 episodes and when she comes back uh we are going to save that for a little later but you will understand why we call her abby Darkstar. <laughs> <laughs> um so so that's our cast um yeah you know, I don't really think they map perfectly onto the Lost cast in, in any meaningful way. You know, the Lost Light character, we haven't really talked about that previously with a lot of Lost Likes, is the idea that there would be sort of one-to-ones. There's usually a Jack. There is usually a Jack. The main guy is usually a Jack. Mm-hmm. But typically there isn't sort of a direct comparison between characters. But in this case... They're, uh, they decided that, like, well, almost every boy can be a little John Locke with it, right? <laughs> like, Nathan has the don't tell me what I can't do parts of being Locke. Lex has the, like, you know, uh, extreme survival expert, you know, wilderness genius mm-hmm. aspects of Locke. And also sort of the um, insecurity of, like, you know, he is the, he is the and you think of him as the smallest and weakest. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So he has, he's trying to rise above that. And then Jackson has the, like, sort of, you know... Um, mysterious past, like more quiet and loner and anti-hero, but quickly becomes like a respected leader aspect of, of Mr. John Locke. Yeah. Um, um, Eric doesn't get to be John Locke and that's no. why he's the worst character. He doesn't get to be anyone who was on Lost because if there was an Eric on Lost, I wouldn't have enjoyed the show as much. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like there, the characters here tend to be very like loud and punchy and splashy in a way that like you can really only get with either kids show characters or like side characters on like a a proper adult show like you can have somebody like dr arst from lost be Mm -hmm. like this kind of cartoony but one of the advantages that like a kid show has is that like everybody can be a little cartoony with it and that is is one of the more endearing aspects of the show Punisher. What? Uh. <laughs> hey, come with me. What? Um, so, you know, normally <laughs> there comes a part in every episode of the Lost Broadcasts where we do a segment um, called the Smash McDouble. It's mm-hmm. everyone's favorite segment. Yeah. It's where we sort of cut in and we talk about what's been going on in the NBA because we love basketball. 
But the thing is, like, kids don't like basketball. No, it's kids, not a children's sport. You know, kid, kid, first of all, kids can't play in the NBA. Yeah. Um. So that immediately, and when, like, when kids like the NBA, they like like hezzy tween shit. Yeah, they think Lamelo Ball is the best player. It's like, yeah, give me they a like fucking handles. Break. Um, they like step backs. Dog shit. Yeah, no. None of those help people win basketball games. So for doing a kid's show, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to talk about basketball, we think. So this is... (laughs) We're introducing a new sub-podcast. This brings us to our new sub-podcast. Yeah. Um, This is... This is called Five Nights of the Fred Bear. (laughs) Which, I want to be clear, 90% of the reason that we're doing this is because I thought of that name and could not stop laughing for like a solid 10 minutes. Welcome to Five Nights at a Fred Bear. <laughs> this is our segment where we talk about something kids love. Yeah. Which is Five Nights at Freddy's. Okay, first order of business. What song did they just hear as like the intro music to Five Nights at a Fred Bear? They heard, <laughs> they heard the end credits song. Um, no, no, they, they didn't. didn't. Israeli no, they song. <laughs> We stand with Palestine on this podcast. Well, we do, we do, but it would be really funny. There has to be more FNAF music, Esther. I'll have to think of something. Does the game not have music? The game has music, but it could be like the Toreador, like the Foxy theme, I guess. Um, it's like... Da, 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 da. This is is FNAF lore that I don't know about. I'm learning so much on Five Nights at a Freddy's. So, I mean, what do you want to know about Five Nights at Freddy's? Well, I mean, first off, um, who's your favorite animatronic? My favorite... My personal favorite animatronic? That's a tough one. I mean, are you talking about the core four? Or, like, are we branching out? All the animatronics. All the animatronics? Yeah. Because the core four, you know, I'm riding with Foxy. Um... No, I didn't know that, Esther. (laughs) This is how I learned. No, yeah. As far, I mean, for the rest of them, I really like the puppet. Um, I think the puppet's one of the more interesting characters. <laughs> she's not joking, by the way. She's not doing this as a little irony thing. No, yeah, the puppet's... The puppet she has, only says things she believes. The, pup, the puppet has a, a very sad backstory, actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the way you choked up a little when you said that. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, so um, what, what else you got? Uh, my second question um i don't really have a lot of FNAF material um oh really you don't even have one more question we don't we could talk about what else do kids like the back rooms i guess the kids do like the back rooms okay. we could talk about um skibbity toilet i mean do you want to talk about skip as we're recording this as we're recording this yo um, okay so 67 part four dropped like last night as we're recording this which like first off um i mean uh, uh, Blue Gray is there in person helping the Hardware Heads Alliance. So amazing. That Aww. was, yeah, that was pretty crazy, actually. Yeah, we're in the Skibbities, like, I guess you would call it a home base. It seems like their headquarters, yeah, they, they they managed to get in. Um, the smaller ones, obviously, the Titans sort of flew off uh, in, in pursuit of other, of other toilets, but... I mean, so there's kind of like a small strike team that's in there, and they are yeah. cut off, but it's like... Do they have the capacity to teleport via, like, the TV man's abilities, yeah. so additional reinforcements? They could bring in, you know, TV woman, speaker woman, characters like that, who are... And, of course, camera woman. And, of course, camera... I mean, let's not forget camera woman. Because there was that moment in, like, I think, 66, where, like, all three of them got a little bit to do and like, a... It was really nice. I yeah, mean, no, Endgame is dog shit. This yeah. is the much better version of, like, three women all, are fighting. All the female characters showing up, it was great to see... Um, so, I mean, what's something that's interesting is that we thought Scientist Toilet got, 
taken out at the uh, at the yeah. end of 67 part 3 but 67 part 4 actually shows there seems to be like a smaller one still alive that scuttles off into the base and the question so is so it's either like an imposter or like yeah. it was a mech that he was like piloting because there seemed to have been imposters before we had the imposter g-man toilet yeah who you could tell very clearly was not like regular g-man um like in retrospect at the very least i didn't notice it beforehand i was of fooled. course i mean that's the that's what's so great about the storytelling is you only really see in retrospect what was obvious you know uh, that was i different. wish so fucking bad that we were lying about any of this no what, what are you we, talking about we this all is believe- the real story of skibbity toilet no we it's it's a real story and we're also as excited about it as we are we're not being ironic so who's your favorite hardware head oh um i guess it would probably be camera woman interesting because for me I, I love the way she like paints the targets and i mean that sort is of great. goes beast mode with her like artillery head see for me tv woman and when she does like the hands in her trench coat pockets yeah so fucking cool it's um, great obviously the plunger man is really cool as well um <laughs> yeah plunger man is kind of like the chalk pick well he's so brave yeah <laughs> This has been the first episode of Five Nights at the Front. <laughs> and the last. <laughs> All right, good night, children. <laughs> now We're moving children. into the adult part of the episode. Now the kids where we can say whatever the hell we want. <laughs> okay, um, we're not doing a plot summary. No, there's no plot to this show. I mean, things happen. <laughs> but you know, if you could, you could recite the general plot of a season of Lost or mm-hmm. Reunion or Daybreak or any other show we've watched... You could say what happens. What happens on this show is just a series of terrible misfortunes. Yeah, season one, they go from, like, gradually eating a little less shit day by day to, like, eating complete shit in the finale um, when, like, a storm hits and, like, their shelter washes ashore and Jackson says, uh, fuck it, I'm out. I don't want to be the leader anymore. Um, At the end of season two, they split into two groups, one of whom wants to go uh, explore the island more and one of whom wants to stay on the beach and like signal for help if they're going to get any. Um, But that's it, right? Like I just summarized the plot developments such as they are. Um, What's much more interesting is just that idea of like, again, what the show does care about if it doesn't care about plot. One of the things that it's obsessed with is determining systems of governance. Um, because <laughs> they spent so much time on this. No, it's like, I mean, it makes sense that that would be part of what is discussed, right? But it's like, if I was to, like, ask to guess how much of the show would be about that, I'd be like, okay, well, maybe one episode towards, like, the beginning of season one, and then maybe, like, another episode where, like, their government gets tested in some way, and they have to, like you know, uh, figure out, you know, a more compromised version of it or something like that. But that's it. No, like, every other episode in this is just like, does democracy work? Are we all going to die because we don't have a strong hand at the till? And the season two finale, the crux of it, is that half the group decides that they're, they've given up on democracy as a concept. Yeah, they're, they're becoming Maoist. <laughs> they believe in dictatorship and a proletariat now. <laughs> Um, they decide that uh, no one can really lead the island because that is too similar they to being Lex a landlord. Plowfields. <laughs> Why would they do that? <laughs> I don't know. He's the smallest one. He's the smallest. It's inefficient. I mean, it's like he's yeah. the weakest. Um, no, most most of the show um, is just about them trying and failing and terrible things happening to them. Um, yeah, and it's like I thought at first that because there was so much emphasis on the wilderness survival part that it would be like 
edutainment, right? Where yeah. it's like, hey kids, if you ever find yourself camping, here's a cool thing you can build. Yeah. And it's like, here's how to braid a rope, or like, here's how to like set up a solar still to like capture some rainwater. But it's like 80% of the shit that they try conservatively just does not work, yeah. is useless. So it's like, what is that? Like, they spend like several episodes on like, how do you start a fire? And just the initial thing, the thing they eventually come to is like, none of us could do it, and thank God Jackson has a lighter. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, we'd be fucked. Yeah, like, later on, um, there is an episode where, like, uh, Taylor fucks up the lighter. And so it's like, oh, we don't have any fire now. And now we're drinking dirty water and getting sick. Um, but what Taylor ends up realizing that she can do is because she can play the cello, she can figure out, like, a friction method to, like, start fire by, like, rubbing two sticks together. Like, it's, you know, like, the bow and the body of a cello. Um, and it's like, that's very kind of her, but it's also like, you motherfucker, you waited until, like, 20 days of us being stranded here to figure that out? And it's also just like, what are kids supposed to take away from that? Yeah. It's like, hey guys, don't yell at someone, because maybe they know how to play the cello. (laughs) That's such a fucking, like, Joe Biden story. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's how I learned to never judge anyone, because maybe, you know, their dad plays the cello. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it just brings, it's just really, like, that's, I think, the greatest example of, like, uh, as we were watching, we kept referring back to this Aikwood strip. Yeah. Um, Do you want to read from the 2006? Yeah, so I'll be Philippe and you be Libot. You would that? be Philippe, wouldn't you? I thought you were going to make me be Philippe. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I do make you do things. Okay, so okay. this is how it goes. Libot, I can't sleep. Will you tell me a fairy tale? Sure, little guy. Get under the covers. Okay, then. There's this Dutch kid, and he sees water leaking out of a dike, so he sticks his finger into the lake to stop it. Wow, phew. Unfortunately, pretty soon his finger dies, and then the rest of him dies too. He's little, and it's so very, very cold. No! Sorry, true. Anyhow, the next morning, a priest sees the boy, and it turns out he's not all the way dead. Oh my gosh, is he okay? Not in general. His father is furious with them for not coming home, and in a blind rage, he burns their house down. But, but his mom was nice to him, right? Whew, definitely not. She screamed at him so loud and long that blood came out of her mouth in tear ducts. The doctors had to send her to be killed. The end. No moral. <laughs> that is what every episode of yeah. this show is like. The end. No moral is like the tagline of Flight Twenty Nine Down. Yeah. Like they just experience terrible hardship, and there's nothing that a child watching could take away from it or like learn. Um, it doesn't make them better, is the thing. Like they no. they don't do character development. Taylor like very slowly does, but like we mentioned that Eric doesn't. Mm-hmm. Characters tend to get like, if anything, more awful and like displeased with others and with themselves as the show goes on, you know, like, and this really kind of like comes into stark relief in the first few episodes of season two, where like they've they're recovering from that big like storm that they've all weathered, um, and like everything they try is just one failure after another, and it feels like it's a survivor you know, start of a season where Jeff just shows up and is like, this is the most season yet. You'll have nothing for the real challenge. 26 days, Survivor. (laughs) (laughs) There's like compounding miseries on these poor children. And like the end of the episode is like, well, I guess we're not dead. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is just like, I don't know. Do do, Maybe this is just because of the age that we're coming at it from. 
do kids shows need necessarily to like impart morals in every single episode? No, probably not. But at the same time, I don't know what a kid watching this is supposed to like get out of it. <laughs> Suffering. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. Punish her. <laughs> it's, it's punish her. No, it is like, you know, a kid watching this. And maybe this is the reason why, while I remembered this show existing, I did not remember any episode or anything that happened on it. Because yeah. I feel like this is the kind of show that you watch maybe as a kid for a couple episodes. And it's you're like, Candle Cove. <laughs> You watched Candle Cove. I watched Candle Cove. Little. This is the real Candle Cove. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, now this whole uh, the end no moral dynamic can be perfectly summarized with the final reappearance of our good friend Abby Darkstar. <laughs> yes. No, why are we calling her that? No. She, so deep into season two, uh, there's an episode uh, that reveals what she got up to after she left the camp the second time. Yeah. Um, and it turns out. <laughs> She just went through absolute fucking hell to an extent that I was genuinely shocked aired on a children's cable network. Yeah, she gets like pelted by like a rock slide twice. Yeah, Yeah. at one point she falls down and like breaks her leg and there's like a stick through her leg on camera. Yeah, there's just like way more like physical violence done to her. There's just, it keeps cutting back to her and she just is like crawling up a hill. Yeah, or like just curled up, just like forcing like some food down her mouth and, and like crying and then like cuts back between that and like romance happening on the beach and it's like ooh <laughs> daily and nathan seem to hate each other but do they actually like each other and it's like it'll cut right back to abby just being like and a lizard has showed up and it wants her dead <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because then she, when she eventually it lines up so that she gets back to the camp yeah first of all she did not accomplish her mission of finding the others at all she just limps back to camp mm-hmm. and this lines up with the group having found a chicken and they're arguing about like should we keep it for eggs or should we just eat the chicken classic flight 29 down like moral dilemma this is what yeah. every episode of the show is based on is this kind of argument um abby shows up and is like kill the fucking chicken and it will <laughs> yeah, only she just pulls out a log knife and is just like do not get in my way <laughs> like and it will only be the, the meat will only be for the strongest of us yeah. <laughs> i will inaugurate an era of slaughter <laughs> this is barely an exaggeration she goes she shows up she starts getting in everyone's face everyone else is a character on a children's tv show where it's like nah, i don't know does daily like me yeah <laughs> and abby shows up and it's like we will kill the weakest of us every <laughs> every night at sundown yeah we will take hostages and we will do things to them. <laughs> Uh, no, it's so great. She, she like, glowers at everyone. Um, again, like, the last time we saw her, her defining character trait is that she was, like, sweet and angelic and, like, you know, sensitive in a way where she kind of realized that she didn't fit with the group. But, like, now she just wants blood. She wants to kill. Um, she wants enemies, and she wants bad things to happen to those enemies. Um, it's amazing. Uh, uh, you know, it's... Immediately after that as well, she's the one that convinces half the cast to be like, well, we're leaving again to go just do like a circuit around the length of the island to figure out like, how big is this place? Is there anything else that we can find on here? Um, So like, this is the third time that she's left. um, And what we have determined is that she is encapsulated by the classic Stone Cold Steve Austin shirt reading, Arrive, Race, Hell, Leave. (laughs) Yeah, she's Ab- Abby turns out to be like a dark horse, like best character on the show because yeah. she is just so 
so evil. In the end, where they're all getting rescued, she's just like, you know, I think I've gotten a taste for blood. <laughs> After we get rescued, I think I want to become a bounty hunter. <laughs> I think I want to live at the edge of the law. <laughs> Neither lawman nor outlaw, but something in between. <laughs> Punisher. Stop it! Um, can we talk about the music on this show a little bit? Yeah, let's Because it. it's so strange. Like, you know, the, the main theme, for example, is really Survivor-inspired. It yeah. sounds like, you know, the way that it will have, like, you know, these, like, uplifting swells and the sort of, like, generically, like... Uh, tribal sounding like chanting that Survivor likes to do where it's like is this actually from the culture of like the island it's set on this season or is this just like totally made up yeah um who can say with any of that but that's the one yeah there's also Super Mario Sunshine music yeah there's also classic like Delfino Plaza ass yeah (laughs) (laughs) a lot of like steel drums and just like you know I'm on island time (laughs) (laughs) um then there's all these like possibly original compositions but also possibly just like rights free library music that are all like just children's pop songs about working together yeah and it's like there's this really weird one like towards the middle end of season two that's just like a guy with a harmonica and he's like wailing about how like we gotta be a team (laughs) (laughs) or it'll be like a a a pop song like a pop punk song with like a female vocalist going like hey hey sharing is cool (laughs) (laughs) um and then unlike flash forward or unlike reunion rap yeah which had a bunch of licensed songs there's only three licensed like needle drops Mm -hmm. they are as follows uh 1985 by bowling for soup yep Collide by Howie Day mm-hmm. and Everybody's Changing by Keen, <laughs> which is just like it is motherfucking 2005. Everybody, yeah, who's the audience for that specific thing? <laughs> These are the three songs that uh, you would hear most on the radio when your mom was driving you to soccer practice. Yeah, it's like the stations knew that she was driving you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this could be like a station that would also play like Crazy by Gnarls Barkley or like yep. something that you thought was cool when you were like 10 years old, but like. <laughs> No, if your mom was driving to soccer practice, they knew. It was just going to be Howie Day. It was 101.3 WMOM, the mom. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little FM radio joke. Um, while we're on the topic of Keen uh, and moms, I do want to mention very quickly. Yeah, please. Um, so my brother is two years older than me. And when he went to college, he became a DJ at like one of our college radio stations. And my mom, the moment she found this out, was like, oh... Well, you should play my favorite Keen song. And he was like, no, mom, I'm really sorry, but that's not how it works. Um, You know, like, that doesn't really fit, like, the format of the station. That's not, like, um, the type of music we play. She was like, oh, but you could just say your mother asked you to do it. And she was like, no, that would make it worse. (laughs) And she would just insist and insist and insist until finally she just, like, you know, was forced to let it go by him just, like, never actually doing it. Um, Esther, would you like to guess what, like, genre of music this station played um was it was it rock and roll it was noise and post hardcore (laughs) 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 it was like putting on birds bow records (laughs) and she was like oh yeah but you could put keen on there (laughs) you could take your listeners to somewhere only we know (laughs) Maybe uh, what he should have done is just kind of leave the tape 
outside, like in the rain for a couple days. Yeah, and I like back mask it. Exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that I think would have really played. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, <laughs> you know, one thing that's really, really funny about Flight 29 Down is Tell that um, I don't think we've ever talked about this on the show before. Maybe we have. I think like in our first episode, we mentioned it just a little bit. If yeah. Think of. So when Lost was being pitched around to networks, uh, Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse, the creators, had a pitch document that was sort of explaining like, well, this is what the show will be like. Um, and it was a lie. It was full of lies yeah. and lies and lies. Um, and some of the best ones were like, they, you know, would list out like, here are some sample episodes that we could do. Yeah. And it was all stuff like, you know, Hurley falls into a pit. There was one that was, or the best one is like, Hurley falls into a pit and everyone is mad at him because he's too fat to get out. <laughs> that That's real. That's 100% real. Th- that was in there. That would be such a rancid episode that would to be watch. the worst episode of television. Just Hurley in the pit and everyone occasionally walks by and looks down and is like, oh, you're still there? Um, Disgusting. <laughs> do you imagine? No, but then it would be like, you know, uh, they find mysterious cocoons on the island. They're yeah. Like, just like random shit that they were never going to do because they had an idea of what the plot was already, but just mm-hmm. stuff that sounded like weird and interesting and like episodic, most importantly, yeah. that they could pitch to a, a, a you know, place at the time. Flight 29 is just that show. Flight 29 is, is word for word, bar for bar, the lost pitch document in terms of what the episodes are about. There's even an episode where Melissa falls into a pit. <laughs> <laughs> there is. The moment that happened, I was just like, oh shit, this is just the pitch document. <laughs> it's crazy yeah. because it, it is like the most basic, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, expression of what a show about like crashing on a deserted island could be. Yeah. And like the pitch document also is like really concerned with like the survivors that have to figure out ways of government. Will they grow closer or further to each other? <laughs> and it's like, again, that's from what you were saying. 80% of what Flight 29 Down is, right? So it's like every other show that aired like in the immediate aftermath is just like, okay, I hear you loud and clear. There are alien hybrids on the island. And Flight 29 Down is the only one that actually like read any information. It was like, oh, well, this is something that's like Lost. We'll just do that one. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. I mean, we talked about it a little, but it is like kind of fascinating that they were like, just I think because of the nature of, what children's television, you know, serialized children's TV is really common now. You know, we have a million yeah. Steven Universe, Gravity Falls, like, you know, mm-hmm. a third one. Oh, those are now? That's not like a decade ago and you're old No, now. that can't be true. <laughs> no, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I don't think that's true at all. How old are you when you watched Avatar The Last Airbender? Oh, it's got to be like one, two. <laughs> you were on your Gaga Kuku shit. <laughs> You like the character of Aang because he, too, is a big, bald baby. <laughs> Did I also think Avatar The Last Airbender is actually better than grown-up shows? And actually, the storytelling is actually even better than the than freaking shows with all the sex in them. I don't. Um, I, will, I, will, <laughs> I will reveal to you, um, because we uh, delved into a bit of your sordid Wikipedia history this episode. Okay. I'll reciprocate and say that I got my high school's computers banned on Wikipedia for going into the Avatar The Last Airbender article and replacing every instance of the character Sokka with Sokka and his boomerang. (laughs) And when it was just instantly reverted, I would just redo the edit and say, uh, explain, Sokka's pretty useless without his boomerang. (laughs) 
And I just remember that there were like Wikipedia editors who would just like revert it and leave like these long comments that were like, actually, he's an expert tactician. <laughs> and in many ways, the heart of the group. <laughs> but oh that was, that's what I was getting up to on Wikipedia. All right, but Esther, you were making a point in theory about kids' shows. That wasn't just an excuse for me to derail us. <laughs> no, it's just that like serialized kids' shows are really common now, right? Yeah. You know, because it's expected that kids are going to have the ability to not just watch things in order because mm-hmm. of streaming and stuff like that, but that they will like care to and care about following a story. Yeah, you know? and that's why like Skibbity is so interesting that it like goes from being a very like you know episode of the day like gag Mm. show to something that is very serialized and you know at this point it's like more of like a sci-fi horror action show than anything else yeah it was skibbity kind of it's designed to grow up with its audience (laughs) from six years old to six and a half years old (laughs) (laughs) because once you're six and a half you are the dark star you want blood too (laughs) exactly yeah um, but no, it, like you can, it, it's obvious looking back why in 2005 on Discovery Kids, they were like, there's no expectation that kids are going to watch every episode or watch every episode in order, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, so we can't be that plotty. We can't have things carry over that much unless it's something small that we can have characters reference as having happened so that you understand if you haven't seen every episode. Um, so I, I guess that's why, you know, you, you go for the model they did, which is just every episode, a new misfortune. <laughs> um, and then at the end, they they get away. And I guess let's talk about the ending. Cause, so yeah. the, the show is two seasons of 13 episodes. But then there's a movie, which is broken up into four. It, it's 80 minutes long. Four episodes, you know. But it's a but it's a feature film, basically. Yeah, notably, like there are like credits in between each part of the movie. Yeah. But I believe it did air as one thing initially. Yeah, it's like one block. Um, the film is called Flight Twenty Nine Down, the Hotel Tango. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is that like th- th- things resolve rather quickly and rather arbitrarily, but at the same time, like they throw a lot of new information at you in this, and yeah. it kind of makes you wonder, like. Is this, like, the abridged season three? I think almost certainly, right? Like, yeah. It's, it's you know, they have, like we said, at the end of season two, they split into those two groups. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, a couple big developments that come out of that. Is that, number one, the group that goes off to explore the rest of the island. They find, like, an old World War II era, like, abandoned supply station or something like that. And that is where, like, the other two kids and the pilot ended up being... The pilot's gone crazy, and he's evil now, and, you know, he's he's dangerous, and, like, he wants to escape, but when they, like, accidentally ruin his way of escape, he's like, I will get revenge. Um, and then, back on the beach, Lex has just completely turned on Daly, and, like, hates her, and is just like, I blame you for, like, the group splitting apart, you know, fuck you. And she just, like, tries increasingly desperately to, like, do things to, like, please him, or impress him, or, like, get back in his good graces. And when we say that, like, it's kind of arbitrary, it's like, the thing that gets them off the island is that Lex sets up, like, this little signal blinker thing that points out to sea in case they see any, like, ships. Because they they do, at one point, see a ship um, on the horizon that just, like, they can't do anything about it to get its attention because it's so far away. So they start planning, like, well, if one comes by again, you know, what should we do? Uh, which leads to another great daily fuck up, which is when she gets so desperate 
that she hallucinates a ship on the horizon uh, when in fact it is just a whale. It's a whale. Um, and she sets all of the their remaining fuel on fire to try to get its attention. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, it's, it's fuck up into fuck up into fuck up until Daly deciding that she is going to overnight point the, um, uh, like the, the, that signal thing up at the sky instead of out at the sea. And Lex is again, like pissed off at her, like, how could you do that? But it turns out that like, oh, there's a typhoon that's going to come and hit the island pretty soon. And a weather monitoring service notes like the little flashes and is like, oh, there's probably some some people on yeah. the island. Let's go rescue them. Because it, the island was, I guess, like a World War II base. Like the Hotel Tango is this old, like bombed out uh, yeah. base for soldiers, which is why they found that box earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they note like, hey, this island's supposed to be deserted, but we found this blinking light. Um, and that's what gets them saved. And it's like every scene in this episode by the pacing of what came before it would be its own episode. If this were season three, there would have been a whole episode about like, we saw a ship and there would have been an episode about like daily, you fucked up with the whale and and stuff like that. So it is like when we say arbitrary, that's what we mean. Like things just sort of happen in sequence and it's paced, you know, pretty fairly normally, but like it, it, it doesn't really make sense as like, in context of what the rest of the show is, that this should just be a finale movie. You can totally see how this could have been 13 episodes, a full season. The other big part of it is that, like, Abby just kind of stops being the dark star at some point while she's out, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with the other three kids. Who who goes with her? It's it's Jackson, Melissa, and Eric, I think, are the ones that, that go on the exploration group. And, um, yeah, it's very clear that, like, we're not very clear but like it seems reasonable to assume at the very least that like there would have been a plot line throughout the third season where maybe she gradually becomes less bloodthirsty and more ready to work with people again um but that just doesn't happen right it's like well we only have four episodes for this and her side of the story is only half of what's going on so like we're just gonna kind of have to like shrug our shoulders and determine that she's kind of nice again yeah exactly it is I, why I think we, we are going to take it for granted that this is, you know... A truncated season three. Exactly, yeah. I, you know, not to get, in, to get ahead of ourselves a little bit, there's no information whatsoever on the internet that would suggest, uh, you know, that anything happened behind the scenes at all. Um, there's just no way to know whether or not this was, like, you know, their way of finishing the story. Like, we got them, you know, like, show happens to shows all the time. It's like, we need, we, let us do a TV movie to finish things out. Um, but I think it's pretty easy to assume that that is the case. Punisher. What? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so in that context, like, what do we have to say as far as the research? You always do our research. I do. And I believe you were able to find troves and troves of information this time. No, I, here's what I found, mm-hmm. genuinely. And yeah. I'm, and I'm, not to brag, I'm pretty good about digging up old Cute. articles and stuff on the internet. I usually find a lot. Cute. I found one blurb from an Entertainment Weekly article. Which gives the show an A minus for the first season. Hooray. Um, or well, actually, the second season, I suppose. Uh, some researcher. Some. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, I'm quitting the Lost broadcast immediately. 
Um, no, that 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 is it. I also found a uh, a TikTok from the actor who plays Jackson as an adult singing the song that he sings in one episode, and there's only thirty comments, oh. uh, which on TikTok is like two comments. Yeah, because <laughs> there's some metric inflation over there. Um, there, you know, it, this is a show for children. It aired on not basic cable, but like cable cable. Yeah, I it, think it. It didn't air notably on like Disney Channel or Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon, like anywhere where like actual kids were watching. Exactly, and there's no reason why like, you know, the Washington Post is not going to seek out creator DJ McHale and be like, so why don't we talk about the f- the end of Flight Twenty Nine Town? Because <laughs> the eight year olds who watch the show are not going to be reading that. So yeah. why would they write it? So it makes sense, but it is kind of a bummer that there's no, like, you know, this was, I think, right in the era before, uh, you know, right in the era before fans would be, like, obsessive about seeking that information out and documenting it the way they are now. Mm-hmm. Every fucking show, there are, like, unaired Cartoon Network pilots with fandoms big enough to, like, completely and comprehensively document everything that happened with the production. Um, that's just not the case with Flight 29 Down. But it's funny because people remember it. I was talking, like, a coworker of mine, two nights ago, brought it up completely, you know, spontaneously. Just like, do you remember that show that was, like, a kid's version of Lost? And I was like, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> um, Shout out to the coworker. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, but no, it is, there's just, like, there's nothing out there, uh, really, besides, like, some sort of meager, lingering fandom stuff. Um, you know, but when we talk about, like we usually do, why did the show fail? It's like, well, one, did it? It didn't really. It told a complete story. Yeah. And also, like, if if you're talking about failed in terms of, like, well, this didn't become as huge as, like, I don't know, Lizzie McGuire or the Fairly Odd Parents or whatever, like, kids shows are actually really huge. It's like, well, were you expecting it to? Like, (laughs) were you expecting a Discovery Kids show to be, like, one of the great Titanic, like, culture shifters for a generation of kids? No, you shouldn't have. No, absolutely not. Like, this this has the audience that it was probably ever going to get and the legacy that it... Most legacy that it probably was ever going to have. Um, However, there (laughs) is fan fiction, as always. Um, and this is the part when I saw this searching on archive of our own, I screamed (laughs) because what I saw, this is a fanfic from 2006 while the show was airing. This fanfic is called weakest link. And the summary just says they buried Eric on a sunny day. (laughs) Now this is only 600 words and I would like to read the entire thing. Right. You got this. Okay. They buried Eric on a sunny day. Clouds would have given much-needed shade for the task, but rain would have hampered the digging, so they were satisfied, although not surprised. Nine out of ten, the days were sunshine and heat. They couldn't say what weekday it was, since Mondays and Tuesdays had blurred together a long time ago. If their carved marks on a palm trunk were accurate, it was the 23rd day of their fifth month on the island. They marked the day with a little cross. On the show, by the way, they get rescued after, um, like... Uh, about a little less than a month. Yeah. So first off, this is nonsense. So this, this is would never happen. Not this is, takes place in, a, in an AU. Um, the ceremony was short. Nathan said a few words he remembered from his granny's funeral. From ashes to ashes, Taylor and Melissa sobbed. Others were quiet. Lex had disappeared earlier, refusing to come to their first funeral on the island. First, but not the last. 
Would there be other shabbily made crosses sticking from the ground? Their chosen place for burial ground was an ordinary patch of land a few miles from the camp. No one had said it aloud, but it was chosen because there was nothing important around it. No fruit, no water, nothing they couldn't get from somewhere else. Nobody felt like talking, but the need to say something was almost overwhelming. The tradition was to remember what Eric was like, to tell some comforting stories about the dead. But what could they say? That nobody had actually liked him when they boarded the plane to Palau? But that in spite of all the faults, he had become a part of their little group since the crash? The black sheep of the family? The opportunist? The one who made you laugh all the, at the same time he made you rage? The sloth? The one who had hold the hope of rescue longest, even to his own end. There was no need to tell what Eric was like. They knew. It was knowledge that had driven them to make their decision to help their first burial. <laughs> Daly put the flowers they had gathered on the fresh mount of ground just under Eric's hat. <laughs> they had stripped him bare before laying him in the grave, but nobody wanted the hat. A cloth you could make new, make your own but the hat would forever be that hat. <laughs> it was worn. The color faded from the sun. Okay, so this is like the UK spelling. So first off, what are you doing? <laughs> but there, Ripkey, what's going on? <laughs> but there was no blood on it. It had fallen from his head, the waves carrying it away from the scene of death. They found it later on the beach and Jackson had picked it up without a word. The camp had been unnaturally silent since then. There was no bickering, no laughter, no whining, no voting. Their last vote had been silent, and it consisted of only five of them. After another selfish incident to set a crazy plan into motion involving their only knife, they had known what was to be done. The dread and rush of adrenaline in their veins. Later that night, they had gathered on the beach away from the two who still slept in the camp. Are we really going to do this, someone had said. But they had to. They couldn't afford any more stupid mistakes, thieving, laziness, questioning of the decisions of the majority. Not if they were going to survive. And their odds for surviving were a lot better without the weakest link. It was all math now. Seven is too much. Seven minus one is six. One by one, they left the grave, returning to their daily tasks. Soon the day would feel like any other day on the island. Soon they would not notice the difference that the absence of one makes. They would soon accommodate themselves to their new diminished size. But when would six become too many? <laughs> so as you, this is what I love about fan fiction. I love the idea of watching a show for children yeah. where the average level of drama is like, uh, Taylor won't do her chores. And doing like, all right, in my fanfic, they murder Eric. <laughs> At the same time, though, like, isn't this exactly what we've been saying about this show? Like, doesn't this understand the dark heart of this show better <laughs> than anyone else does? <laughs> I'm sure that it's more honest than, let's say, um, you know, the the seven novelizations written by uh, Walter Sorrells, uh, who, according to his Wikipedia page, also hand forges swords and knives in the Japanese <laughs> style. <laughs> let's go! Good for him! Yeah, it's like, okay, sure, that's impressive or whatever, but, like, this fanfiction is the true Damascus steel yeah. of understanding. <laughs> Flight 29 down. Yeah. No, it rules. Um, it's, it's very much like I'm having flashbacks when I was, like, 14 years old, and I was like, yo, what if we did, like, a Power Rangers show, but it was, like, dark, and they cared about collateral damage, <laughs> and there were questions about, like, should we be killing these monsters, or does that make us just as evil as them? 
Um, so yeah, no, I, I respect this. <laughs> uh, if you were like 14 when you wrote this, which like I'm guessing from like the various like spelling and grammar mistakes, like <laughs> this is a precocious kid. Um, if you were like 30 when you wrote this, then like, all right, <laughs> pack it up, buddy. <laughs> Um, but no, right now, Ripkey of my seal of approval. Yes. Um, writes a lot of Star Wars prequels fanfic, so. Okay, then we want, please come on the show. I think we really have, like, we would really get along. Let's go. <laughs> a lot of Obi Annie shipping, looks like. All right, I'm gonna just bookmark that real quick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and come back to that later. Love it. Um, so let's talk quickly about the creators. Um, yeah. I actually, I remember DJ McHale because he is known... I mean, he's most famous for creating Are You Afraid of the Dark? Mm-hmm. Um, and every news article about him now that I was looking for does not mention Flight Toy Did I Down at all. It's all about Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, he also wrote the Pendragon books, which mm-hmm. I remember really liking as a kid, like being really into. Um, just like classic kind of Harry Potter era YA stuff. Um, for some reason, <laughs> he added the Pendragon books to his IMDb page, not because there are like movies of them. He just called them videos and added them to his IMDb for some reason. I don't know why he did that. Sure. Um, he hasn't worked in five years. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the other creator is Stan Rogow. He produced a bunch of television back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lizzie McGuire was like the most famous one. He retired in 2012, it seems like. He's old as hell. Um, just hasn't worked. Again, just like Flight 29 Dow just existed and then that was it for almost everyone involved. <laughs> like there is no legacy whatsoever except for Corbett Blue and the fact that like people my age remember it for like at least seeing ads for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, it rules. Um, as we mentioned as well, there are a bunch of novelizations, which like the Wikipedia article, because there's not that much to say, <laughs> focuses a lot on the novelizations. There's a whole section above like differences between the books in a series. And it's like the most neurodivergent tween in history has just like laid out all the bullet points of how the, the books don't follow the plot of the series exactly. Yeah. Um, the other writer, I already mentioned Walter Sorrells, but the other guy who wrote these was a guy named John Vornholt, who also did, among other things, the YA novelization of Final Fantasy The Spirits Within. <laughs> and an original book called How to Sneak Into the Girls' Locker Room. So, oh, oh no. Yeah, oh, I was no. doing toxic masculinity. You're yeah, fucked. Yeah, that's inappropriate. That's You're done. frankly unacceptable. Your Flight 29 is down, John Vornholt. Uh, by the way, it's very cute that the number of the plane is 29 dwn i think that's i just always thought that was cute every time they showed that and i didn't want to stop recording until i mentioned it yeah i mean they should have realized that they were gonna die it's like it's like when um in final destination movies where it's like all right we are on flight 666 on hell you're gonna die airlines (laughs) (laughs) we are going on the roller coaster called the teen murderer It's like, hey, uh, I'm just, I'm just picking up everyone up, picking everyone up for the big trip. Do you like my new truck? It's the uh, new, new Toyota pileup. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, they should have known. They should have known. You know, they're children. Yeah. So. What, what can be expected of a child? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what the show is all about, isn't it? It really is. That's that's really the main theme. Um, so that was Flight Twenty Nine Down. I mean, is there anything else we want to talk about? I feel like. Not a lot going on in this one. I mean, no. I mean, there was one episode where they found a wild pig on the island. That's and true. Yeah, they were like trying to catch it and be like, "Are we gonna, you know, s- kill this sucker and roast him?" But they couldn't bring themselves to do it, which is good because I had gathered docs for like 
I was up to like five out of seven of the main kids <laughs> and also DJ McHale. And I was just going to have a segment where I read those out on air. But they let the pig go. So uh, you were all safe for this episode. Uh, there are a couple Taylor lines that I do want to bring up. Yeah, the first go. The first one is is um, there's a bit where they're doing like uh, someone has stolen the video diary tapes and they have to do like a trial. Mm-hmm. They put someone on trial and Eric is the prosecutor. And he's giving a speech. And just one point, Taylor just leads over to Melissa and goes, he's very good. Yeah. <laughs> She's delightful. She's perfect. Her best line by far. M- Melissa's like insisting after being like teased and bullied by Taylor, like, no, I'm fun. And what does Taylor respond with that? She too? goes, oh yeah, you're a national holiday. <laughs> I love that uh, line so much. Taylor is, Taylor is the best. Esther, we, you are a national holiday to me. You're my national holiday. Thank you. As often as I attack you on this show, <laughs> you're my national holiday. And you know what else? Hmm? You're very good. Oh, thank you. You're like flag day to me, Esther. <laughs> Just flag day? Um, what you know, what I don't get like I, I don't get like Memorial Day I'm like because you want dead troops well no well, I'm just saying I don't get like you know Christmas we can or do like... Veterans Day that's loving troops okay I mean that's a big one you get work off a lot of the time yeah um I mean New Year's Esther you like New Year's to me okay to me you're like New Year's Eve aww that's how we're so well packed <laughs> anyway I'm the night side of us all right um. So we're done talking about Flight 29 Down. I think we've wrung all that we can out of yeah. this. So before we talk about um, what we're going to do next month, we have an announcement. Um, da, 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 da. <laughs> we are launching a Patreon. Um, Congrats, Esther. Con- Congrats, Esther. We're both doing this. Uh, well, I don't do a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of the Eric of our podcast. <laughs> Um, no, we are launching a Patreon, um, so that if you want, you can support the show and we would really appreciate it because making the show takes up a lot of our time and, uh, a lot of hard work, yeah. um, to make it so good. Um, so we're going to link to it. Um, you can go to, uh, patreon.com slash the lost broadcast right now, or just go to the Twitter, um, twitter.com slash lost broadcast and you can, and you can eat it up, um. The, li- the link you can click it up um so for one dollar a month you know you can just support us get our thanks three dollars a month you get this is exciting early access to every main episode uh we'll be putting them up one week early for all of our three dollar patrons yeah so that means that like all the references that we make uh from now on if you're watching them on like the free feed uh are gonna be two weeks out of date <laughs> So we're going to be back to talking about, like, Dr. Han type shit. <laughs> so that's um, completely out of the zeitgeist by the time the episode airs. At $3, you also get to vote on upcoming episodes, which is going to be really fun. We have a list, obviously, of everything we're going to cover. But we are going to sort of put it up to a vote um, what stuff uh, people want to see covered immediately. And uh, you got to get in the Patreon if you want to have your voice heard. Uh, a vote for uh, me is a vote for you, which is what I said... <laughs> When I ran for class president, which is funny because it's actually, it's revealed, it's what Daly said on the show. When she ran for class president, she used my exact campaign strategy. So Daly won. Did you win? Da- okay. So, well, um, it was really close is what they told me. It, the election kind of was like actually... when they tell that to Pete when he doesn't get the head of accounts <laughs> towards the end of season three of Mad Men. That it was I really... just watched that on my rewatch of Mad It was really close. Um, no, I did not become the president. They offered me the role of uh, 
class secretary and I just didn't go to the meetings because um, I didn't want to. I actually didn't want to do any. I didn't want to do it all, it at all. And the whole campaign was just so people would think I was fun. Um, That's so cute. <laughs> Esther's really pouring her heart out here in the middle of our Patreon plug. <laughs> and anyway, there's one more. There's one more tier. For five dollars, you can give Esther an ailment of your choice. <laughs> uh, for five dollars, um, you'll get bonus episodes. Yeah. Um, and that's not going to be on like you know, uh, we're not going to say like oh, there's going to be a new one every two weeks or something like that. No. But it is sort of an opportunity. Like we are going to look at like unaired pilots. We're going to watch like movies that the creators of some of these shows have, have written or directed and like mm-hmm. just for sort of fun, fun one-off stuff that's related to episodes of the show. Um, yeah, basically like if you've listened to our episodes thus far, you'll note that there's like a couple things we've mentioned where it's like, oh, that doesn't really super count or like that never made it to air or like that sounds crazy, but it's not, you know, really a loss to like, it's just something wild that like one of the, the showrunners had, like, made in the past. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be that type of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and it's going to be really fun. It's going to be great. We we definitely, we would love your support. Um, we're going to link out to all this when, as soon as this episode is live. If you're listening to it, the links are on the page, on the Twitter page. So go and take a look and see what you, you want to do. Maybe you, maybe you want to do it. I don't know. Like, it'd be pretty cool. Um, and, yeah, with that being said... Uh, what are we in for in 2024? Uh, will it be a Oh my god. It will be. It will be January, New Year's Day, which is me. That's, That's the one year, I yeah. am. See, I didn't recognize that because I think of New Year's as being something that happens at the end of the year because I'm New Year's Eve. Well, yeah. If, and if you subscribe to the Patreon, you will get to listen on Hannah's Day. But yeah. if you don't, it's you have to deal with my day. Uh, okay. We got more site-specific Lost coming up. Um, mm-hmm. We are going to dive into uh, the most recent of these that we've done by a pretty decent margin yeah we're gonna be diving into abc's the river mm-hmm. so stay tuned that's gonna be i'm really excited for this one this one's gonna be so fun yeah um, we love footage we this is a found footage lost like i mean how could i not be excited yeah there was already a, a hint of footage in this one with the camera confessionals but like we're gonna get more footage than we ever bargained for <laughs> All right. Well, again, this has been the Lost Broadcast. Thank you so much for listening. We really, really appreciate it. Um, like we said, you know, you can go to our Twitter, twitter.com slash lostbroadcast, and give us a follow, get updates on everything we do. Um, you can also rate and review us on iTunes. Again, we love seeing that. Please do that. Uh, I'm going to keep begging for it at the end of every episode until you all do it. Um, yeah. And then you can subscribe to us on any platform of your choosing, which you probably already have done. If you're just listening to this on SoundCloud, go subscribe on something. Um, and then you just get all the episodes. It's easy. And you don't have to do work or anything. Um, so with that, that has been our show. Uh, thanks again. And see you next month. Bye. Punish her. <laughs>